The Google Podcast app is going away in April. Right now, I want you to take a look at the podcast app you're using right now. Maybe it's time for a new one. Check out podcastapps.com and try a new one for free right now. That's podcastapps.com. Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue Podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada. On this sponsored episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, we talk to Brian Olson, VizRT's sales director, U.S. Group Stations, about visual storytelling in the remote production age. VizRT offers software-based solutions for real-time 3D graphics, video playout, studio automation, sports analysis, media asset management, and journalist story tools that aim to master complexity and maximize creativity. Hi, I'm Brian Olson. I am sales director of U.S. Group Stations for VizRT. I've been in the industry for quite a number of years and uh, am focused right now on bringing our products and services to the television stations in, in the U.S. Now, Brian, you're very much the go-to guy for many broadcasters when it comes to IP workflows and software-driven production. And I understand when VizRT acquired new tech, where you were the head of product management, it seemed natural to everybody that you would transition to the lead sales uh, team at uh, VizRT. How are you enjoying that? Oh, it's great. Now I get to be more boots on the ground and deal with our customers on a, a day-to-day basis. My uh, my specific uh, role is to to basically manage the sales for all of the, uh, the group stations in the U.S., which for all intents and purposes is mostly all of the television stations in the U.S. Right. Um, so I, I deal with the broadcast groups and and uh, get to talk to them about what their, uh, you know, what their problems are, what their needs are, and uh, where they're going uh, technology-wise, and and try to uh, try to assist as as best we can with our product offerings. Now, can you remind me when was it that VizRT entered the remote live production market? So it's interesting. Um, while I was uh, at NewTech, we actually started virtualizing our live production software over two years ago probably two and a half, maybe at, at the last, uh, real NAB, um, that we were all attending, uh, we did a technology demo of it and sort of introduced it. And then, uh, it got a little bit pushed by the wayside. We started to get into talks with VizRT and going through the acquisition and all that stuff. We continue to do it and develop it, however, and primarily we were doing a, you know, local virtualization. But we did have some early adopter, uh, even tier one type customers who wanted to enter into proofs of concept. So, you know, we've had one uh, going on for over two years now with uh, one of the top networks in, in New York, and they're actually doing production on it now. But the real trigger where our R&D and uh, product management at VizRT pivoted to much more of a remote live production uh, perspective was was the pandemic, obviously, when um, everyone had to figure out how to continue doing production when nobody was allowed, you know, in the studio, in the facility. And uh, that that really got a lot of people's attention. The good thing is we were mostly ready for that, but we, we did have sort of a wholesale pivot uh, within the company on R&D and, and product management to, to remote production. And, and we did quite a bit of work just in the in, in the last year or so uh, during the pandemic to to streamline our cloud production and 
remote production and make things, uh, you know, even even easier for the customer. The pandemic seems to have changed everything. How was mm-hmm. that pivot? How, how did you attack it? Do you think you were on it early and it was a great thing for the business or or was it a lot more work than that? In my uh, entire career, I've never seen a company pivot or, or turn that quickly. You know, most companies, it's like uh, when you want to turn, it's like steering the Titanic, you know, you're hard over and not turning and you're still headed for the iceberg. But we we did a wholesale pivot company-wide, and I've never seen anything like it in my career. And uh, it was it was really to our advantage because we we had a lot of our customers that needed stuff now, and, and we were actually able to provide a lot to them right off the bat. And as we continued our development, provide them more, you know, over the course of the past year, year and a half. Now, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball and talk about the future. But mm-hmm. but for now, um, let's talk about VizRT and, and what makes you such a good fit for remote production. The most important thing with remote live production, if you're doing it completely virtualized, whether that's local or public cloud, is you have to have live production software, specifically switching software that's 100% software-based. You can't have any hardware dependencies uh, whatsoever, because when you load stuff up into AWS or Azure, or, you know, Google Cloud, you're not going to be able to stick in proprietary hardware in there and you can't have those kind of dependencies. Our switching software through NewTek and VizRT has always been 100% software based. So that was it's a huge advantage. And it's a, it's really the um, the only company right now of any import that has a a large scale, you know, 8ME44 input uh, switcher uh, that can be completely virtualized. And you add on top of that our uh, production automation and graphics, and you've really got the whole suite uh, of what you need to do live production in the cloud. What kind of customers do you have doing this? Uh, can you name drop or, or just give us a sense of, of who's on the cutting edge? Every customer has their own sensitivities about it, but I will say it's it's major broadcast and cable networks as well as large social media organizations and and uh, sports net, sports networks as well. And it's it's surprising because it's uh, it was really the tier one folks that were the early adopters here. They were prepared to take the risks because they had a lot on the line, and and I think because they had so many people on-prem in these large facilities that were no longer there, they really needed to figure out new ways of doing things. Um, Tier 2 sort of figured out their own ways to to do remote production, and and they all did it in a different way and uh, with, you know, better or lesser success. Uh, But to a large degree, Tier 2 is still waiting for uh, the experiments that the tier one are doing right now to see how how it goes. And there's a lot of interest there at this point, and I think they're getting ready to move, but it was really tier one that, that jumped on board first. Can you talk a little bit about live production in the cloud and and what that entails and and perhaps what the biggest challenges are? Well, the you know the the cool thing about it is not only are uh, have you removed sort of the equipment from the studio, but, your, your crew, the people working on the production can be anywhere. So it doesn't matter, you know, what city or even, you know, in some cases, what country you're in, you can have the staff that would normally populate a, a, a control room or, or a production all over the place, you know, and, and during the p- pandemic, a lot of it was, you know, 
uh, people in their living room. We had a uh, large, you know, large cable network that was doing master control, you know, from people's living rooms, you know, and, and switching programs. So you can have your graphics operator in one city, your director in one city, your TD in another city, your audio guy in another city. And because uh, you can all come together, especially in the case of public cloud, which makes it the easiest, you can all collaborate. There's inter internet intercom systems out there right now that make it easy to connect everybody as if you're sitting right next to the, uh, each other. And it's pretty amazing. Now it's, it's not necessarily the right thing for everyone, all the time, but certainly in, in certain cases it is. Sports especially, uh, you know, is seeing huge benefits in doing things remotely and, and probably will continue to see huge benefits by not rolling out a, you know, a giant mobile or OB van to, uh, to an event and, and really, uh, you know, just backhauling the, uh, the video feeds from the venue and, and uh, switching things in the cloud. Can you define the difference for me between local cloud and public cloud and perhaps which broadcasters sort of tend to each? You know, you've got a number of options with a software-based workflow. Um, and this is certainly true of all of our stuff. So you can you can run our software on a, on a bare metal or bare metal servers. You can uh, actually create a, a VM or virtual machine and run it on, on your own hardware on-prem. A lot of organizations who have some fears about either the cost or security with public cloud um, have developed their own data centers and, and in some cases have them already, in which case they will, they will virtualize our software and run it in their data center. And that's, that's typically what's referred to as local cloud because it's still within the uh, wide area network of, of an organization as opposed to public. And then you have the folks that are they're good with both the costs and don't feel like uh, there's huge security risks with public cloud that will go to, you know, Amazon or Microsoft or Google, any, any of their platforms. And there's some real flexibility and uh, sort of ease of use going with public cloud because they take a lot of the hard work in configuring the VMs and, and the, uh, you know, memory, GPU, power, all that stuff, processing power, and based on your needs, you, you select one of their offerings and uh, it just it just works. In fact, to, to give you a, a little anecdote on that, when we first started doing testing with virtualization, probably two, three years ago, uh, as I mentioned, it was it was really we we're using local VMs and, and testing it that way. And then uh, probably about, um, I want to say about six months, six, nine months before the pandemic hit, one of the guys that worked for me says, you know, I'm going to put this on uh, AWS. I just want to see what happens. And it was it was pretty phenomenal because he, he got it all up and running and he comes back and he goes, um, it just works. <laughs> so for for companies and organizations that don't have huge IT staffs or, or the, the local IT expertise at, at all their facilities, there's some real benefits to public cloud, but you are going to pay for it, um, and you've got to be sure that uh, that you've got budget for it. But it, it really makes things easier when it comes to doing remote light production. Brian, do you mind if I, we talk a little bit about NDI for a minute? Sure. NDI, a network device interface, as you know, uh, having come from New Tech, it's a free IP video protocol, and I'm wondering because everywhere I go, everyone's talking about NDI. How does it help with remote production? What's the secret sauce in there? So we're on our 
fifth generation of uh, NDI right now. It was, it was actually released, I think it'll be six years this September when it first uh, came to the market. And it's, it's gone through lots of iterations and, and really constant improvement, both in the, the speed, functionality, and, and quality. Uh, so the, the codec's actually been refined, uh, typically almost with every release. I mean, the goal with NDI was to make, make IP simple. And, and to a large degree, it, it is simple enough that uh, not only broadcasters, but, you know, just people, you know, prosumer and, and amateur folks can use it and, and really get some huge benefits out of it. But uh, what's new that really empowers sort of remote live production, one of the new features is called NDI Bridge. One of the big challenges of, of doing, you know, remote live production is when you do have sources on the ground, whether that's in studio or in the field, you do have to get those video and audio feeds up to the cloud to, to actually do the production and to process the video and audio. And typically, uh, uh, to date, that's been done uh, for the folks using um, NDI anyway, would, would convert to SRT. And that would take it up to the cloud and we'd work with it in the cloud and as NDI and then SRT back down to the ground. But uh, there's been some issues with that as far as complexity and configuring the encoders and decoders. There was some AV lip sync problems that have popped up, you know, and our goal with NDI from the very beginning was to be able to make it go anywhere, including the public internet. And so that's, that's what NDI bridge does. It basically creates a, a, a wide area network that includes the cloud. So if you're in a facility and you're looking at your list of available NDI sources, they could be on-prem NDI sources or they could be cloud NDI sources. You're, the end user sees no difference. Um, everything stays in NDI all the way through the facility, through upload to the cloud and back down again. It really, it really streamlines things and takes away the the back and forth to SRT and, and just the complexity of, of, of doing that. NDI works particularly well in the cloud too, because it can basically traverse virtual machines, basically instances of software easily. And it can do that because while it does do multicast, it can also operate in unicast, in which case that's really the way that you need to operate in the cloud and be able to uh, to uh, you know traverse through ports and things like that. And, uh, and NDI does that. It also, uh, because of the band, lower bandwidth with NDI, it's much easier to do in the cloud. So it 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 was kind of a perfect scenario uh, when we did need to go to the cloud. And the last bit was really okay. How do we get how do we get on prem up to the cloud and back again? And that's what NDI Bridge does. Also, we we're releasing NDI Remote, which is really cool. Anywhere in the world, somebody can send an NDI source, uh, basically to the cloud or, or to our live production system, just with a simple URL. It just makes its way there and, and shows up in the switcher. And uh, so this has huge implications for uh, for all kinds of uh, bringing in all kinds of remote feeds, you know, quickly and easy, easily from anywhere, even from your, from your smartphone. So we're really excited about that. Another thing in NDI5 and, you know, audio is one of the things that uh, video people like me always, you know, leave until last or forget about, <laughs> but it's, it's hugely important, especially when you have to mix audio in the cloud. And we have something called NDI Audio Direct now. And what that does is it allows you to use a, a VST plugin, which is a standardized digital audio plugin into 
virtually any uh, digital audio console or software and uh, basically take NDI audio feeds um, in. And, uh, you know, we, we separate the video from the audio and you can also basically break out individual groups and individual channels of audio um, and work with it, mix it. Um, you can actually have multiple people using, you know, different instances of audio software working on your audio mix. And then we take the final mix uh, back into our live production system and mux it back with the video and, and uh, send it out as program audio. So that solved a, a lot of problems uh, with audio, especially in the cloud, but it works. It can work quite well on-prem as well. And with, uh, with NDI audio, you don't have to have a clock. Synchronization is not an issue, which, you know, that is an issue with, with most types of uh, digital audio, including uh, Dante, which we also support. But uh, it does require a clock to keep everything in sync. And that's eliminated. Uh, synchronization, both for video and audio, are eliminated with NDI. Fantastic. The universe within VizRT just seems so you can accomplish just about anything that you would want. That's what I tell my customers. It's like, don't ask me what I have. Tell me what you want and we probably can help you. <laughs> Outstanding. VizRT is now offering its products under an OPEX business model. Mm -hmm. Brian, what is that and how is it good for broadcasters? So uh, we call it flexible access because it's designed to give flexibility to broadcasters. It really allows you to sort of flex, if you will, scale up, scale down as your production demands increase or decrease. So, you know, instead of spending a bunch of CapEx dollars up front to, uh, to build a, a control room that uh, you have to keep busy to, to get your money's worth, you can spin up as many instances of control rooms uh, as you need based on, on the demand. So whether that's increased production capacity for things like, uh, you know, sporting events like the Olympics or elections, or in the case of a disaster recovery, you know, your, your main uh, facility goes down and uh, you can actually spin up, you know, your entire control room or control room in the cloud as, as a way to do that disaster recovery. So there's a lot of benefits there. And, and instead of paying for a whole year, you can actually pay as you go and just pay. I only need it for three months. So you pay for three months and then you stop and, and uh, your license stops and then until you need it again. So that, uh, that gives broadcasters a lot of flexibility and eliminates a lot of the risk associated with spending huge amounts of money um, upfront to build those control rooms and then not know whether you're gonna be able to keep them busy and, uh, or not. It sounds to me like the genius of uh, your process there is not just uh, moving product off the shelf, but rather having a consultation with the client uh, in advance and throughout the product lifecycle. No, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we don't just sell stuff to our customers. We, we build uh, partnerships and, and long-term relationships where, you know, we basically look out uh, for each other's business in, in those types of scenarios. And, you know, we, we become, you know, as invested in as our in our customers as they become in us, and it's really a very consultative process because everybody's you know the the industry's changing so quickly. Everybody's trying to learn and and develop expertise and figure out you know what's the best way to go. The nice thing about flexible access is they can actually um, try out our solutions. If it doesn't work out in the way they expect, they can they can just stop any of those licenses 
or if it works out great, they can uh, they can scale up easily just by adding additional licenses. Brian, while I have you here, let's talk about the future for a minute. Pre-pandemic, uh, roaming the halls at NAB in Las Vegas was already a trip looking at all of the available tech and the operations that vendors mounted right in the convention center was just truly mind boggling. Mm -hmm. What does NAB look like post pandemic? And what is the future overall with respect to remote workflows from your perspective? What do you see? So as far as NAB goes, I think it's going to be, honey, I shrunk, I shrunk the trade show. Yeah. Um, at least, at least the feedback we're getting right now, um, and what other vendors are doing, is I think everybody, well, most companies, sort of pivoted to virtual marketing, and engagement, uh, and d- through digital, and saw, you know, at least as good a response, or in some cases, an, an uptick in response. So um, I think there's a, I think people are, uh, companies are going to want to test the waters to see the, the value and validity of, of, you know, major trade shows or trade shows in general and see, see what, uh, what they get out of it. You know, I personally still think we very much need face-to-face contact with our customers. Um, this is a business largely based on trust and, and uh, it's hard to trust somebody, you know, who's just, you know, on, I say the, the guy on TV, you know, basically the guy on your Zoom call, uh, if you haven't actually been able to look him straight in the eye, shake his hand and actually have those kind of face-to-face interactions. So I still think there's huge value to those. It may be scaled down a bit, but I'm hoping that, that those will continue. Um, as far as the future of live production, I'm seeing actually our customers now that we've started to open up here in the US, going back to the studio, if you will, and sort of pivoting back to traditional workflows. We're seeing an, uh, an uptick in interest in studio video walls, uh, which means that uh, customers are focused on the studio and upgrading their production values in the studio, which tells me that they figured out they can do live production when they, remotely when they need to. They see value maybe in disaster recovery and and occasional expanded production capacity. But uh, I think things, the world won't have changed completely post-pandemic. It gave us a good taste of what's to come, but uh, I think we're going to take a few steps back and then we're probably going to need to go through a bit of an evolution over the next X number of years to slowly migrate up into the cloud, which probably will be the end game. But uh, I think a lot of folks are uh, not quite ready to go um, all the way at this point. Flexibility was the word I was looking for earlier. Yep. I think that's really what you're offering the marketplace and, and what you're saying the marketplace is asking of you. It's very much going to be a hybrid world, you mm-hmm. know, for a while, both as far as, you know, baseband video, IP, on-prem and and remote production. It's We're going to be in a hybrid world for for quite a bit. We really are living in the future that we dreamed about when we were kids, right? Well, we still don't have flying cars yet. I'm still waiting, but... Uh, It's on the way. Brian, (laughs) really appreciate your time today. And Uh, thank you for everything you're doing at BizRT. And uh, we'll see you soon. You too. Our thanks to Brian Olson of BizRT. For more information, head to bizrt.com. listening to Broadcast Dialogue.
For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.